Ask you to get your Bibles out now and turn to 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, verses 9 and 10. When I was in seminary, we would all come together as we'd come off of our church fields, and we'd come together on Monday night in the dormitory where I was staying when I was, uh, while I was there at school. And we would share about what had taken place over the weekend. We share uh, many of our uh, preacher boys had gone to preach in churches. Many of us were pastors, and uh, uh, we were telling about what experiences took place in our churches. There was this young man, and uh, I call him a young man because uh, when I when I went to seminary, I was already in my mid-30s, uh, and he was in his early 20s, so he was a young man to me. Now he really would be a young man to me. Uh, but uh, he stood up and he said, Now, I have something to tell you that you're not going to believe, but I promise you, it happened just like this. He was invited to go and preach down in uh, South Louisiana. And I, I went to, school, to seminary at New Orleans. But he, he was invited to go down and, and, uh, and preach at a church down in the countryside down in South Louisiana. And he said he got there and he preached. And boy, he preached his heart out Sunday morning. And he had the altar. It was full. People came, you know. He said they had dinner on the ground after it was over with. He said, man, I thought I was in hog heaven. I was going to be able to eat too. And he said he went there to eat. And as he was sitting around talking, some of the people started, uh, he started overhearing some of them talking. They said, hey, did you hear about that guy that, uh, that escaped from the insane asylum? And he come to find out there was an insane asylum that had been built out there too because it was way out from everything else. And they got talking to him and said, you know, he, he killed so many people. And he started talking about what type of a, a person he was. And he was there. Only, now he has escaped and they can't find him. And he said, it started going through his mind. I've got to drive all the way back to New Orleans. What's going to happen? So he got up and he preached that night. He got ready to go home. He started going back and there was a bridge he had to go across. And as he got there to go across that bridge, he said he just started on it. He said, all of a sudden, there was a man that jumped over the rail right in front of him. And he said his eyes were as big as the headlights. And he said, I knew it had to be that crazy man. And he said, I swerved over to go around him and he jumped in front of me. And I swerved back and he jumped in front of me. He was just waving his hands like this and screaming. He said, finally, I either had to hit him or stop. And I thought about hitting him, but I stopped. And he said, I cracked my window just a little bit. And I heard him saying, stop, stop, turn around, stop. And he said, I'm... A driver. My van just has gone off of the bridge where it fell through. And if you go any further, you're going to fall over too. I climbed up here to stop you and tell you you need to turn around. We need to tell people around everywhere it's time they need to turn around too. 
We've got to turn around and beginning of a Christian life, really, is where we make a turnaround, isn't it? In our scripture, we're going to be looking at in just a moment, it's in the first chapter of Thessalonians. And Thessalonica was a place where Paul went to preach on on one of his missionary journeys. And while he was preaching there, uh, these people responded in, in glorious ways. They, they came and they followed him. They listened and they embraced what he had to say. And so he wrote this letter back to them to let, him, uh, let them know what he was hearing about them and how glad he was to hear. They were at the work. They were being zealous about the things that they were doing. They were there and people respected them. And everybody was talking about the type of people they were and what they had done. And in our scripture that we're about to read, we're going to see here uh, where he is commending them for what they did and what people were saying about him. Uh, and everything, how they had been talking and sounding the word all the way through Macedonia and Achaia. And uh, they had been preaching in every way. And that everybody was speaking about them because it said as in verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son. Wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He was commended them because everyone realized, first of all, that what they did was that they turned from their idols. Now, Some people might say, that has nothing to do with us today. We don't have idols. They they had all these idols around, everything that they were doing. Uh, They worshipped idols. They worshipped men that claimed to be idols, the emperors and different things around. They, uh, They had all these around, and we don't have all those idols around. A good definition of an idol is... Anything or anyone that comes before God in your life. Yeah, we don't have these graven images. We don't have all of those, but I guarantee you we have idols. Sometimes our our idols happen to be our jobs that we're on. Sometimes it's our family. Sometimes it's the money that we make. Sometimes it's the television that we want to watch. And sometimes it's other things, our car, our our loved ones. It can even be our loved ones. But anything that comes before God is an idol in our lives. And there must be a turning from them. Now, when I was in the service, when I was at boot camp, we did a lot of marches. I was in the Navy, but you know Navy marches in in in, in boot camp? We... We marched just like the army does in boot camp. And part of the thing we would do, we'd be going along marching, and then all of a sudden they'd say, about face. And what you do, you put your foot behind you, you turn, and then you start going in the other direction. The way that people are saved, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here because I, I would I think that those that come on Sunday night pretty much are, are those that are already saved, but I'm going to tell you something. 
If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're not here by accident. You're here for God has given you a chance tonight to make that turnaround, to turn away from the way that you were going and turn back to Him. But you notice whenever you make a turn, whenever you turn around, it's always a turning to something. You always turn to. Now, a lot of people say they have turned around. They say they're Christians because they have turned. Sometimes they pray to prayer. Sometimes they they started getting active in church and different things of that nature. But a real salvation experience is not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just making some changes in your life. If we make the turn that leads to salvation and we're turning away from those things that we have been serving, and yes, we've served them because they have grown our attention, they've kept us away from God, they've kept us into sin, they kept us doing those things, and we turn our backs and we turn to God, the most living God. The idols that we have are dead. But God is living. The idols that we serve, they can't hear, but He hears all things. The idols that we were serving couldn't do anything for us, but all things can He do. They couldn't save us, but He is the only way by which we may be saved. Jesus, the risen Savior, is the only way. And whenever we turn to Him, we turn with a grateful heart. And when we have that grateful heart, we turn to serve. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Don't answer me, but you just answer you and God. Since you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you made that turn out about face, and you turned away from the way you were going and turned back to Him, Have you been serving Him? Have you really been serving Him? Sometimes we find people that go through the motions. They take Sunday school classes. They they sing in the choir. They uh, do various things. They teach. They are active. They're there every time the church doors are open. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're serving Whenever we come to serve, we've got to understand that every one of us that's ever been saved have been given a spiritual gift to be used. And if we have been saved, we've turned to serve Him, then we are using that spiritual gift, uh, our gifts as it may be, to serve Him and do what we want to for Him or what He wants us to. Now, whenever we're doing and we're doing this serving and we're serving, we're not serving ourselves. We're not doing it so we can get out here and say, look at me. Look what I'm doing. We're not doing it for others. You know, we're not doing it so others might come and pat us on the back and say, hey, you're doing a good job. We are serving him because he loved us while we were yet sinners. He was willing to die for us. He paid the price for our sins for the wages of sin is death. 
And he paid that debt in full for us. And when we turn to him, we turn with a grateful heart and we come unto him to serve him. And we don't serve him for ourselves. We don't serve him for others. But we come to serve him as slaves. Now, we might not like the word slaves, but we come to serve him as slaves. Slaves have a master. And we that are Christians, we have a master. He's the one that directs us. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, I can't do much. I'm going to tell you. This is what I believe in every church where I've ever been pastor of, I've ever been in. That everyone that is a member of that church is not there by accident. I believe God has assembled together those that He wants there to fill the puzzle pieces together so they can carry out the work that He has for that particular church. And everyone is very much important. Paul over in Romans also uh, talked about this, and I think this is a very good example of how important everyone is. In Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Those of us that know Jesus, we make up the body of Christ. And you make up the body of Christ that comes to worship right here at Meadowbrook. And you're all important in what needs to be taking place here. The toe cried out one day and said, I sure do wish that I was a hand so I could pick up things. And so the toe moved to the hand. And he found out that the body couldn't stand straight. He found out that the body lost its balance because the toe was no longer there to keep the balance that was there. Finally, the toe saw that he was important and he moved back to the toe. The, little fang- the middle finger said, you know, I'm not really important to have everything else. I want to be an ear. And he moved up to the ear. And then he found out the body couldn't pick up things like it used to. Couldn't hold on to things like it used to. And so he went back to the hand. Folks, every one of us is important in the plan of God And if we have turned from our idols to serve the true and the living God, we are to be about the service in any way and every way that God has called us to do and gives us the opportunity to do it. That's what it is. A slave has a master. You know, a slave doesn't question whenever his master tells him to go do something. If he does it, he says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll go do it. Yes, sir. I'll go do it. 
Whenever God tells us to do something, we need to say, yes, sir. Whenever it takes place and all of it. You know, as we come, a slave doesn't come out and really murmur about what he is doing. He doesn't really complain about what he's doing, particularly he don't let the master hear him complain. But we'll murmur. Oh, I wish I didn't have to go do that. I'd like to stay home tonight. And listen, a lot of them may have stayed home tonight to watch the television or whatever took place, you know. Or, you know, I haven't been fishing in a long time. I'm going to take off today and not go to church and not be there. Uh, I'm going to go fishing. Now, there's nothing wrong with going on vacation. But we just don't take time off just to go away from church to do something else. The Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling together of the believers. We're supposed to be there whenever the church assembles. We're supposed to be there to be doing our part, to be a part of all of that. As we come to serve Him, we need to serve Him without murmuring and complaining. How many of you remember a song that we used to sing? I don't think we sing it much anymore. I haven't heard it a whole lot. But that was a song that was, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. You remember that one? I've always said that if we Christians were to ever get to the place of where we could count our many blessings, we never would have time to say, oh me. We never would be able to complain about anything that was taking place. Because if we ever started counting our blessings, we'd realize that we never could stop counting them. It's always there so many times that God has blessed us in all that we do. We need to serve Him with all of our heart. We need to serve Him with zeal. We don't need to hold anything back if we're going to serve Him. We need to make ourselves, here I am. You know, Elijah, not Elijah, but, uh, well, I can't, now my mind's gone blank. But there are times when some of these have been asked, said, who shall I send? And they say, here I am, send me. God sometimes said, who's going to come and serve me? Who's going to take over this Sunday school class? Who's going to come and sing in the choir? Who's going to do this? He said, here I am, God, if you want me, I'm, I'm volunteering. Oh, by the way, you don't serve God as a volunteer either. A volunteer gives up some of his time. Some of his money. Some of what he's doing. But we who are children of God, everything we are and everything we have belongs to him. We don't give him anything. And he really doesn't need us. But he wants us. Do you know why God wants to use you in his work? It's so that you So that you can get out of it what you need to. So that He can lift you up. So that you can find your strength. So you can be that Christian that you need to be. You can see the things that are taking place. We need to serve Him with all that we have. We don't need to hold anything back. Every minute, everything, everything we do should be His. Our jobs, our careers is His. The money that we make, it's His. The cars that we drive, they're His. The house we live in, they're His. 
A Christian realizes everything belongs to God. And whenever we serve Him, we serve Him in that way. We turn it over to Him because here He is. We turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The only one that's ever died and rose again. But you know, there's another thing. It says that we are to wait. Wait for His Son from heaven. You know, when you first read this, it kind of sounds like it might be kind of contradictory. Here we're talking about serving, and we're talking about working, and we're talking about doing that, and then all of a sudden he says, to wait. One is active, one is passive. But really, these two go again like a hand and glove. You know, if I had a glove up here, I'd take it up today, and I'd show it like this, and I'd say, you know, uh, this is the way it is, and your hand goes inside that glove, and uh, the hand makes the glove, and the glove makes the hand, you know? If we're going to serve God with all of our hearts and everything we have, we also have to wait upon the Son of God, expecting Him to come back any moment, any time, any way. It is the joy of knowing we have a Savior, a living Savior, that's coming back to take us out of all of this mess that is here. We won't be here. It's that joy of knowing that that allows us to surrender everything to Him to turn it over and say, I'm ready to go to work. So we work while we keep one eye on the eastern sky looking for Jesus to come back. You know, I think... Paul and all of those really thought Jesus was coming back before they died. Let me ask you a question. Really, just think about it for a moment. If you knew Jesus was coming back as soon as we end this service today, as soon as we start to walk out this door, what would you have done different today than what you would have done as you did otherwise? You know, If you knew He was coming, would you have done anything differently? If you knew this was your last day, would you have done anything differently today? Would you go to work tomorrow? If you knew that was going to be your last day, would you do anything different at work than what you're going to do? See, that's what looking for Jesus does. It keeps our mind and our heart on what we're doing, and we're doing it for Him as we go, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what's taking place. We wait. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. Oh, that glorious day. I'm looking for the resurrected Savior to come. I'm ready for my Savior to let me come in and worship Him for the rest of my life. I can just imagine how it's going to be when we get there. How we're going to be praising Him and worshiping Him. And all the time we're doing, we're giving Him everything we have. But you know, the thing about it is we don't wait till we get there to give Him everything. We start now. We need to get in practice so when we get there, we know how to do it. But Jesus is coming back. We may hear the trumpet blow tonight. Jesus is coming back. He said that He is coming. And we need to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. 
Jesus is the only one that has ever been risen from the dead. Let me just kind of throw this little nugget in for just a minute. And we've been hearing, I don't know, you've been paying attention to what's been going on in uh, some of the religious circles around the world and different things of that nature. But, uh, you know, we have had the Pope that has come out now and said that the God that the Muslims uh, worship is the same God we're worshiping. Uh, we've had some evangelists that have been preaching for God for a while that has now come out and said, you know, they're really not that much different from us. We really need to kind of accept them in. They're looking at the world religion, trying to bring up world religion. The Bible says it's coming. But folks, I'm going to tell you, there is no one like our God. He is the only one. Oh, Mohammed may have walked this earth, but I'll tell you one thing, he's never risen from the grave. Buddha may have been there and went into all of his stuff that he had, but Buddha's never risen from the grave. There is only one that has ever risen from the grave, and it's our Savior, our God, the living God, the one we worship, the one we serve, the one that is ours, and we need to be about the work while we look for His coming as He comes back again. Like I said, I'm probably preaching to the choir. This is probably the group that does most of the work. That was a pastor once that was asked. He said, Hey, how are your people about working? He said, They all agree. He said, 20% does the work, the rest of them ready to let them do it. In almost every church, you'll find there's about 20% of the members that really sell out to God. The other 80% kind of walk close on the edges. Are you ready? For Jesus to come back. And then we say, hey, I can't wait. But are we really ready? First of all, let me ask you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt tonight that you have made that turn? That you have turned from the living, uh, from, the de- uh, from the idols, from the devil, and turned towards the living God, to serve Him. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've done that? I pray you have. But if you haven't, you need to make sure of that. You don't need to put it off. Because Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when. And Christian, you that know that you have. If he were to come back tonight, and he were to go, we were to go before him, how many crowns would we be able to lay at his feet? How many crowns would we be able to give him? Have we been about the work?
You know, I had one member one time to tell me, Pastor, that's why we hired you to go do all the visitation. I've never found that in the Bible. Where the pastor is supposed to do everything the church does. Now, don't get me wrong, he's supposed to be the leader. He's the under-shepherd. But one thing every man and woman that has ever come to Jesus has been called to do, and that's to witness. Go ye into all the world. He wasn't talking to preachers. He was talking to all of us. We've all been called, and that's something we can all do. But preacher, I don't know the Word. Well, get in the Word and learn it. I'm going to tell you, every one of you that are here, I guarantee you know enough Scripture today to tell somebody about Jesus. How many of you know John 3.16? Oh, yeah. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's all the Scripture you really know to tell somebody about Jesus. And you have something more important than anybody else has. You have your own testimony to be able to tell others about what He's done for you. We need to be about the work. But let me ask you this too. We say we expect Jesus to come back soon. But do we really? Do we really expect it? If we expect it, will be about the work 24 hours a day. Because I'm going to tell you, personally, I don't want him to come back seeing me doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Or I don't want him to come back and see me not doing something I am, am supposed to be doing. If he can come back any moment, that's one reason we wait on him and we work and we keep that eye open. If we have that hope and anticipation, it makes all the difference in what we do in our serve. Now we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And we're going to ask you to respond to him in any way. I don't know what he's telling you to do. But you do. If you need to come to the altar and pray about something just to tell you and him, then the altar will be open. If you have some decision you need to make, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, come and I promise you someone will show you through God's Word how to be saved today. Maybe you as a Christian. Maybe you need to rededicate your life, recommit. Some people don't like that word rededicate. I like recommit better than rededicate, but it means the same thing. We make that recommitment to Him. I'm going to serve you, and I promise you, I'm going to be about the work. Maybe here today, you're not a member of this church. And you see that God has called you to be a piece of that puzzle, to be about the work here. And we ask you to come. This time we're going to have a hymn of invitation. Christ, you to respond to whatever God would have you to do. Just come to Him now.
have thine own way.